I mean, I want to drop on Friday. I'm recording this on Friday. Is it crazy, though, to drop a newsletter on the same feed and then drop the podcast? Are y'all just going to be like, it's too much, too many emails? Should we just try it? Should I just do it? These are the questions I have right now. Oh, let me, let me actually make a podcast first. Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. I'm your host, Deepa Shreeder. And guys, this weather is so disrespectful, especially on the eve, the eve of my birthday. This is the kind of weather that really just sort of gets my goat. You know what I mean? Where you just are like, it's gloomy here in Austin, Texas, right? It's gloomy. And in the mornings, you've got like a, a late 40s, uh, a low 50s kind of buzz. And then it hits to 70 and then it gets right back into it. And it's just gloom. It's gloom with little pockets of sunshine here and there. I hate it. I hate it. Um, I, I, I think everyone in Austin, Texas, and I will just say it as this, especially here in South Austin, it's, it's really quite difficult, at least right now, to think about anything else because we had some real, real tragedy here in Austin, Texas. Uh, this past week, uh, really surreal, surreal stuff, really, really frightening stuff, really, really tragic stuff. Um, I don't want to get into it just because uh, if I if I start going down that road, we're, we're not accomplishing what I want to accomplish here in this particular substack, but just wanted to say uh, it's been a heavy week and we're going to try really hard to make this podcast not very heavy not this time i'm going to i'm going to make sure i'm going to make sure i love going down that substack list and seeing the multiple listens i'll tell you what makes my day so i'll make sure the real ones get to still get their multiple listens in on this podcast. But we'll just we'll just try to keep it on the light side. But whew, thinking thinking of everyone in South Austin, I know. People say thoughts and prayers, what the hell is that? They're not wrong. But I I don't know what else to do right now. Um, let's get to thing one. Let's get to thing one. Um, thing one, thing one, we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about a thing that I've been getting a lot of DMs about. Um, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much, uh, I can answer right at this moment, but, um, 
me and my friend Alex. I reference him often here on this podcast. On IG, you can find him at fromage for you. Uh, he is at least according to most chefs here in Austin, Texas, he is the cheese authority um, here in the city. And he also happens to be my best friend, which is great. And I've learned a lot from him just when it comes to board making because that is, uh, that's the season we're in right now, right? Holiday boards. Just did a whole newsletter on it. Anyways, uh, we we made a couple reels on Instagram and just been getting lots and lots and lots of questions of what is happening here? Are we are we starting some cheese board only content? Are we um, going to continue this South Indian meats, um, South Indian Texan flavors? meat charcuterie and cheese boards and um I'm just gonna nod my head if you're listening I know we we still haven't gotten our visuals up on this podcast but just know that I'm nodding my head but what I did want to talk about in thing one not just to sort of say I acknowledge the dms I see them which is like okay fine whatever (laughs) um but I wanted to maybe go over a couple things that I learned um, while making these videos with Alex on this particular cheese board. So if you are are new to this conversation here, basically uh, my friend Alex Palomo and I, we uh, made a South Indian style cheese board complete with Vethel, which is a um, South Indian style of a fermented rice and tapioca chip. Uh, with urga, with all kinds of accoutrements, some that can be bought, some that you can make. And um, then we paired it with a bunch of amazing cheeses uh, that Alex brought to the table. And we basically made a giant board. And then um, actually one, I, I would say one of the focal points on the board is actually a featured recipe on the newsletter. So check that out if you haven't seen it yet. But... While we were constructing this board, while Alex was assembling the board, uh, I learned a couple of things, you know, um, which seems so obvious in hindsight. And when he explained it made complete sense. But in all the years of me being a chef, it was really cool to still be like, there are things out there that should be sort of common knowledge. And I didn't even know. I didn't even know that's how you you basically construct a board. It's cool to learn like when someone is an expert, when someone is able to really get into the details, not only do you understand the craft of what they're doing, but also you can kind of sort of um, understand that there's always a method to madness especially when it comes to cooking. There is always a method. There's always a reason uh, for for things happening, whether it be technique, whether it be in dish assembly, there are reasons for things. And, and that's what I learned. I learned reasons behind cheese board assembly. First thing I learned, first thing I learned is when you are creating something 
that needs to be aesthetically and visually appealing, first thing you need to put on your board before anything else are your touch points, aka your cheeses. We left them whole because we wanted that board to be really interactive. Um, we didn't we didn't cut anything up. We did kind of let those cheeses sort of be the focal points. And then while he was arranging the cheeses, he did so based on thinking about a customer's palate. Where did he want them to start and where did he want them to end? What cheeses would make sense for someone to have in a certain order? Which I would have never put together. So basically your cheese is your North Star on your boards, right? They're just these touch points. And then you build all of your pairings, your accoutrements around that. It is not just random. It's not just about filling in the gaps. It's about making sure if you've got a cheese that's going to go really well with a lot of salted pistachios and fried curry leaves, then you were going to see those two ingredients um, overlapping each other. Uh, For the marinated eggs, we made sure that there was a really soft, really beautiful, really creamy triple cream that could take the heat. Um, And that also offset a lot of those high acidic flavors. And with that triple cream, you got like a nice sort of softer landing with it. And I thought that was so interesting. The whole board was constructed like that. And when he was doing it and creating it, like I said, it sounded so simple to me, but those are two things that I'm now just going to carry with me in my own board making. You know, it just makes makes whatever I'm doing and serving more compelling. So um, those were two things I learned. Oh, another thing, another thing that I kind of learned, but I don't know how much I put into play or practice. He made sure each of those cheeses, whether it's fresh or whether it's, you know, aged, whether it's soft, whatever cheese it was, everything across the board, literally across the board. Everything is served at room temp. Everything is taken out of the fridge, be it a fresh chev, be it, you know, a a blue cheese. Everything is trying to get to its optimal sort of flavor. And the way you do that is actually through making sure that it, it gets to temperature. And I didn't know that. I thought if it's a fresh cheese, you keep that in the fridge until you're ready to serve. So really interesting on how you're able to sort of make sure not only does your board look visually compelling, uh, that it has an actual function, a method to it, but in order to really make sure those cheeses are at their optimal like tasting power, everything, everything comes out of the fridge. So those are the things I've learned so far. I'm sure um, I'm going to learn a lot more, but 
that was really exciting and fun to sort of see. So if you haven't seen uh, the reel that Alex has made, be sure to check it out on Instagram. And, um, you know, obviously check, check all of our collective Instagrams um, to sort of keep up with what we're doing social media wise. And there might be some videos coming towards the Substack 2024. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get to thing two. Okay. Thing two. I've been, I've been thinking about this one. And I've been really trying to figure out what do I feel wine-wise really encapsulates December. December is strange, right? You've got that cold sort of gloomy situation happening at all times. At the same time, there's a lot of celebration happening in December, you know? And the thing is, and I'm going to be really honest here, I I know, I know, I know, I know. We're supposed to drink champagne at midnight on New Year's. Um, I feel like a lot of like sparkling champagne moments also happen in December. And I'll tell you what, I don't want to drink that in the cold. I just don't, okay? There's nothing that seems more miserable to me than drinking champagne when it's so cold outside. And I don't, I don't necessarily like drinking anything in the cold or just being in the cold in general. But if we're going to kind of sort of celebrate this season, this holiday season, how do we sort of get that sparkle and at the same time have something that feels more characteristic? And listen, um, I'm very into the idea right now of, you know, hot toddies and mulled wine, but the, but those are one and done, right? I, I'm not, I don't know who out there and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, get into those comments. Let me know. But if I'm having a hot toddy, you know, which is usually like bourbon or whiskey based, uh, if I'm having, you know, a mulled wine situation, I'm having one of that. I'm not able to be like my drink of choice for tonight's party or whatever is this thing. I'm moving on as quick as I can to wine. Um, you know, for, for many reasons, but uh, I, I just, it's not, it's not something where I'm like, oh, can't wait to have all of those sticky, sweet flavors <laughs> multiple times. So what do you do, right? And this is what I think it is. I think December, and dare I say, what I kind of want to drink. I think, I think, I might, I might backtrack on this Jan first, but I think what I want is a sparkling Lambrusco. And these days, I know, I know some of y'all are going to be like, listen, I've, I've listened to your podcast. I know you like a dry, a dry wine. What are you doing here? And it's a wide world. I went to 
I went to the Central Market today, okay? Uh, and went in the wine section. And typically, I think two years ago, I was searching for a Lambrusco and I found two different kinds of Lambruscos. And it just, it just wasn't the scene then, you know? I think it was like kind of their uh, building... Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't like in the retail space. Like I think if you went to a, you know, a, a craft wine shop, I think if you, you know, were a little bit more in the industry, you kind of already sensed Lambruscos were making a comeback. But I think like it, to go to Central Market today, and I said, I'm looking for sort of a natural sparkling, I'm looking for a Lambrusco, that's where I want to go and oh, the choices we had. And that was so fun, number one. I, I haven't tried the Lambrusco I picked up today. I'm saving it for tomorrow. But it was just so great to see. And I was like, this is what I want in December. I want red, something to, to, to sort of make me feel like I'm, I'm here in the season. I know it's cold. Red wine gives you a little bit of that, like, you know, that fake wine blanket, right, that it so affords. And it still gives me a little bit of sparkle, a little bit, you know. And especially when we're dealing with natural wines and we're talking about a sparkling natural wine, you, you are getting a little bit more of that sort of creamy fizz. You know what I'm talking about? Instead of that staccato fizz that I feel like a lot of people equate with the sparkling wine. And I feel like with the Lambrusco, it's it's cherry Coke as wine and it can be dry. And that's what I want. I want rich cherry Coke, creamy fizz, v- <laughs> vibes. And for some reason, for some reason, I was about to say vibes with a W, vibes which makes me sound like like a an alien alien indian you know like when you're doing the w instead of the v the wives <laughs> that's neither here nor there people that know that know okay uh but that is what i want i want to feel like i'm having something special without it necessarily being um, something that does have a lot of sugar added to it, something that is going to give me a headache the next day. And I think that's when we reach that toddy territory. That's when we're in that sort of um, mulled wine, cider, you know, warm cider territory. This is the solution. So I encourage y'all, get into whatever whatever local wine shop you've got. If you've got a great central market, you know, if you're in that DFW, Houston sort of region, you've got, you've got those stores at the ready. I encourage you to go back and search those Lambrusco sections because they got them stocked now. And let me tell you what, that's what you want to be drinking in December. Let's get to thing two. Oh, we're at thing two. Let's get to thing three. Thing three. <laughs> Um, thing three is something that actually, um, has been a question that has 
been asked to me in several different forms and variations. Enough so that I was like, you know, maybe maybe there needs to be a couple touchstone answers on this podcast, right? Um and it and it's and it's just sort of comes with the territory kind of thing. Let me let me explain. Um essentially because of the projects that I've been building, right? We've got Gundy Texan on YouTube. We've got uh, the Million Texan Kitchen with the Training Kitchen. Uh, I've got a few more projects uh, underway that really do sort of lean in, authentically so, but they do lean in on the fact that we are cooking South Indian Texan food and that we are South Indian Texan right? By way of immigration. And I feel like the question I get asked in many different ways are, are maybe it's a little bit twofold. What does it mean to be a Texan when you're an immigrant, number one? And number two, what is Texan cooking? And I think both of those questions are definitely uh, important to answer, especially if you're saying that what we're doing is South Indian Texan. What makes a Texan? What makes it South Indian? What's the what's the um, infusion? And I think a lot of times people want they want an ingredient list, right? They want to say this thing is South Indian and this thing is Texan. And what I would say to that is this. The dishes I'm making are inherently South Indian and Texan because they either start with a South Indian dish or they start with a dish that has become championed in Texas. And the reason why I say championed in Texas is because Texas is about a, a ton of cultures, right? When someone is like, what makes this Texan instead of what makes this you know, Mexican, what the, what makes this Vietnamese, what makes this Indian? Texas is filled. And I don't know, I know there are a lot of y'all who don't live in this state, who maybe have never been to this state. And maybe you have an idea of who makes up this state. But the thing is, the reason why... um you have so many Indians here in Texas, why you do have Viet Cajun here in Texas, why you do have different iterations of barbecue here in Texas is because this is a state that not only is filled with immigrants, but its roots are multicultural, right? So what are those touchstones that make something Texan inherently? And I would say this, I would say it is more so than the ingredients or the dish itself. It is the technique. And I find that a lot of the touchstones that make something Texan in flavors has a lot to do with what I think it means to make Indian food. And they're not necessarily the most obvious routes. Yes, there's a lot of cumin in Indian food, and there's a lot of cumin in, in Texan food. If you want to go down that route, fine. I mean, it's true, but I find that shit to be a little surface, to be honest. 
And when I think about all of our identities and identity in general, it's not just about like, oh, I put cumin in this and cumin is involved in this Texas dish. Just It just sort of is like, all right, dope, I guess. What I think makes something more interesting is if you're able to be like the technique, right? The, the, the story behind the dish, the idea behind the dish, the flavor points behind dishes. To me, Texas cooking involves a ton of fire, right? Not just barbecue wise, but a lot of open fire cooking, a lot of sort of um, finding those sort of stranger routes to fine dining. I find to be inherently Texan and char and having a little bit of burn, which to me is very Indian, really Indian. It's uh, it's not a thing. I think people really focus on spice, which is true. My food's spicy as fuck too. But I think the fact that we have to not only toast our spices, but there's certain breads we make. There's certain, um, there's certain dishes we make that include a little bit of fry and char and, and making sure that there's a little bit of smokiness in it. Um, to me, that's, that's a culture that immediately can find kinship in a lot of Texan cuisine. Uh, I think also the idea of locality is important, right? Um, I'm sure, listen, I'm, I'm sure many other states have this same idea as well, but I can only speak to what I know. And here in Texas, a lot of our food is based on what grows really well here. And what we celebrate. We like to make a festival out of shit, right? We like to celebrate things. We like to say like, oh my, in in March and in April, we're eating crawdads. And we'll make a whole thing of it. That is something I can relate to. Whether it being Indian or whether it being Texan. The idea that... You want to use the things around you, the resourcefulness of it, right? That, that is where I see that through line. Sure. Do I, do I make a more emphasis of it when I'm making something like, for instance, this uh, upcoming menu for the training kitchen? We're making basically a Kerala style banana leaf parcel, but we're also making a tamale. And those two things are true in one dish for my third course. And to me, that feels a lot more Texan, that idea of it, than just, oh, well, I'm throwing a bunch of barbecue, like spices on something, and I'm also throwing a lot of biryani spices, and now we're having biryani barbecue. (laughs) Ta-da! And by the way, while I was saying it, I was like, is that a good idea? It might be. But what I'm trying to say is, I think 
when we are asking chefs who are in that fusion world what makes them inherently this and that, a good touchstone, a good way to sort of see who's really about it is if they're listing off a bunch of ingredients or, or, I'm just, I'm just, a uh, sake of argument here, I guess. Or if it's something a little bit deeper. Does it cut through the bone? Does that make any sense? I don't know if I just like said a bunch of like rambles and you're like, I, I, she didn't really say anything. I have a sneaking suspicion that the people that get it are going to get it. And I have a sneaking suspicion that I might have also just rambled a bit. But that's just also who I am. So. And that's neither Indian nor Texan. That's just um, authentically me. <laughs> but I, I'm excited to keep answering this question. You know, I'm about um, sparking healthy discourse about it. Healthy discourse. I don't know if you can still do it in this day and age, but I... I am really excited about the many different ways I'm going to be exploring what it means to be South Indian and Texan. And I think it's going to be a really fun year coming up. And I want to keep talking about that. Who gets to be Texan? Who gets to claim that identity? It's an, inter it's an interesting question, y'all. Oh, man. I wish I could tell you guys so much more, but I promise in due time, due course. Uh, I think that's it. I think, I think we did the podcast y'all. We did it again. We did. Okay. <laughs> that's what I'm, I think I'm also going to start embracing that in 2024. I like to speak in we's. Sometimes I know who the we is and sometimes I don't. I don't know. It's, 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 it's just something I really want to do. So let's, let's go with it. Let's go with it and see what happens. Um, coming up, coming up on this particular Substack, we have got more sort of, um, holiday, uh, recipes and things to make essentially your holiday hosting, not only like fun and different and a little spicy, but also easy. Also, things you can make in bulk. Okay? In at the end of 2023, it has been a wild year. I really do feel every year is just getting faster and wilder and stranger. I just feel like in December, unfortunately, capitalism hasn't caught up to, I think, where uh, most people are at, but in December, we don't really want to work a lot. And the last thing I want anyone to do is have to put together a very complicated and crazy menu. And I like complicated, crazy recipes. Y'all know that. Don't worry. Come spring. I'm gonna bring it. And everyone will be like, Deepa, this is a recipe that took four days. And then you can scream at me then. But right now, I'm going to give you guys things that you can make in an afternoon and then, you know, move on with your day. Um, so we've got another fun recipe. This one is, is very, very fun. 
very cute, uh, next week in a newsletter. Uh, and once again, you know, if you are looking for virtual stocking stuffers, a virtual gift, a virtual secret Santa, whatever it is, and you want to give something a little bit out of the box, not in a box at all, might I suggest a subscription here for the Sick Palette Substack. Um, and we've got December tickets open for the Training Kitchen um, collaboration, a.k.a. Thummel, Thamillion Texan Kitchen. Sorry, guys. I've, I've, I've been doing interviews and meetings all day. I'm, I'm about to be talked out. Um, and we also have January brunch tickets open. So we only have two days available. January, not three days, two days. So limited seating. Uh, it's going to be brunch. It's going to be brunch on the farm, South Indian Texan. That menu should be coming out soon. Um, but but that's all I've got for y'all right now. And we'll uh, we'll talk soon. So thank you guys for all the support. Uh, and I hope I hope you guys had a really great start to this December. And I'll talk to y'all next week.